0: and welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast series, Sunny Side Up. I'm Paroma. I'll be your host for the day. Hi, David. Welcome to the Demand Matrix podcast, Sunny Side Up. We're super happy to have you here today. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself, David, and a little bit about the CDP
1: Institute. Certainly. So I'm a marketing technology consultant. I've been one for many, many years now. And the CDP Institute is an outgrowth of my work as a consultant. I actually named the CDP category back in 2013 when I saw a number of systems appear on the market that were building their own customer database, which was actually a new thing. Before then, most marketing systems would attach to an external database that had been hand-built, like a data warehouse or a marketing database. or There were a few different names. These things were called, but it was unusual for a package piece of software to build its own, so we saw a new category, we gave it a new name, talked about it, developed the concept. Not too much happened to be honest till about two thousand and sixteen when for whatever reason, the market decided that this was something it was interested in, and then there was a great deal of interest which has just continued to grow over time. So we founded the Institute after a couple of the vendors in the space came to us and said, we would like you to promote the category as a category. So that's what the Institute does is we help marketers to understand what they can do with their customer data, to do a better job of it. And often the answer to that Great. is a customer data platform.
0: What's a typical day at work like for you?
1: Well, I, I get up and go to the gym, as I should. I uh, finally hit my desk around 8, 8.30 o'clock. Spend a few minutes doing some marketing things, tweeting and LinkedIn, just on a normal schedule. After that, the day really does not follow much of a pattern. I spend a lot of time talking on the phone to vendors and to users, marketers of these systems. The Institute has internal operations that send require a certain amount of time meeting with various folks and talking with various folks try to find some writing time but it can be very difficult to do that Mm -hmm. unfortunately then the second job hits in which is writing the institute newsletter and that takes two or three hours a day and you can't really start that until the evening because you have to wait for all the day's press releases to come out so that happens anything between six eight nine ten o'clock at night then i go to sleep and it starts all over again
0: So do you want to tell the audience about your latest initiative at the CDP Institute, the real CDP program?
1: Right. So about three weeks ago, perhaps now, we reacted to a great deal of confusion in the marketplace, which has been widely noted by many people, but we felt it had reached the point where we had to step up. And as the CDP Institute, who better than us to step up and say, okay, look, at." There is actually a definition here. You can't just call yourself a CDP because it's a hot topic and everybody wants to be a CDP. So we said, look, at a CDP... By definition, it's a system that builds a unified, persistent customer database. It's shareable. That's what it is. So we said, here are the five things the CDP has to do. It has to take data from all sources, not just some sources. It has to store all the detail, not just some detail. It has to store that data for as long as you want, not just for a few days or minutes or hours. It has to make that data into customer profiles that are unified by the customer. And it has to make that data accessible to any system that wants, typically through an API. So very specific things. You would be surprised how many systems that call themselves CDPs don't actually meet those criteria. Mm -hmm.
0: So how do you foresee the future of uh, CDP, its growth? And uh, how do you foresee the future in terms of demand for platforms such as this? And what will drive demand for technologies like CDPs?
1: Well, what drives demand... For CDP is the growth of all the different marketing technologies. Uh, the famous Scott Brinker graphic now has more than seven thousand products, and, and Scott's the first to admit that there are many others that, that he hasn't listed in there. So each of those systems, some of them connect to other systems, but any big company will have. Dozens of different independent sources of customer data and marketers desperately want to have that data available in a unified format. So that's the fundamental problem that the CDP solves. That need will not go away when you draw your picture of your marketing stack or your marketing architecture. You're always going to have a box where that data comes together and that box will probably be labeled CDP because it's a reasonable label for that box. Whether that box is a standalone piece of software, whether it's provided by a marketing cloud vendor, whether it's provided by corporate IT, those things could all change. But the need for that unified data is something that will be with us pretty much forever.
0: Great. So obviously, ABM is a core strategy for many companies today in the B2B marketplace, especially. And with the growing use of ABM, there's obviously a growing demand for personalization and personalization at scale. So, can you comment on how CDPs make it easier to deliver on this?
1: Well, CDPs make it easier to deliver on ABM because ABM requires an account view. That's why it's called account based marketing. So, we see specialized CDPs that are designed for business-to-business that have that account level as well as the customer or the person level built into their data model. Those systems work at both levels. Of course, data comes from people. Organizations don't really generate too much data by themselves, with some exceptions. The CDP gathers in that people-level data, aggregates it up, figures out who's part of which organization or which account, creates the account-level aggregated view of that, makes that available for your ABM program so your ABM program can do all the things that it needs to do looking at the total engagement at the account level, the the amount of interactions that you've had, the purchases, the different programs or buying processes that are underway, all the information that your salespeople and your marketing people need to understand the current state of each account and to market to it appropriately.
0: CDPs don't necessarily only benefit marketers and marketing teams. So can you talk about the different use cases that can be unlocked using CDPs? How the different teams benefit within an organization?
1: Well, that's right. And in fact, we used to define CDP as a marketer controlled system. And we changed that because it's not just for marketers. Certainly your customer success people, your sales people, your operations people, many departments throughout the company have use for customer data, in particular for unified customer data that can understand what a given customer is going through in terms, for example, of using the product. What kind of support issues have they had? What kind of information has the product itself sent back about failures and usage late rates and problems that it might be having or simply capacity issues that it might be having? So there are many departments in the company that that need to understand the data that's flowing through through a customer perspective. And that's what the customer data platform is good at. It doesn't give you product-level data. It doesn't give you regional data. There are other perspectives for data, and they're important too, but the CDP is focused on giving you that product view of the data.
0: Absolutely. So different teams benefit. And obviously, uh, that brings us to uh, a very common question about the friction between sales and marketing. It's obviously a growing concern in B2B, in the B2B marketplace. And all of these technologies are here to enable better alignment between the two. So how can adoption of the right CDP help counter friction between these two teams, between these two very
1: important teams? The CDP is not magic. The CDP is not a silver bullet. Adopting a CDP is not going to suddenly align your sales and marketing departments. That's really an organizational issue and a people issue. What the CDP can do is to give them both access to the same data so they're at least looking at the same information. And so that they both have reasons to contribute their own information, which is separate to that shared view in the CDP. So the CDP itself becomes more valuable because it has more contributions of data from different sources. So the CDP can help to align sales and marketing, but by itself, it is not going to solve the sales and marketing alignment problem.
0: So uh, can you talk about some of the most innovative ways in which B2B companies, especially technology marketers, have used CDPs to enable their efforts?
1: Well, we've seen... quite a number of innovative things. Let me just step back before I go to those to say, you know, even the simple things are extremely valuable. Sometimes we focus on innovative things because they're kind of fun and different and new, but, you know, just getting good data, knowing who to talk to, understand the context of the relationship, knowing what they've purchased in the past and what issues they've had in the past. Those are the un-innovative things that are still extremely important. But if you want to look at innovative things in particular, the, the CDP makes it possible. A good example might be analyzing the degree of messaging that's going on to different people or segments, either segment by segment. So are there groups of customers I'm talking to or persona by persona? Are there types of people within a given class of customer I'm not talking to? I'm not talking to the IT people enough or to the business development reps enough or whoever it is I should be talking to. Or even at the company level, are there particular people within a given company that I'm not talking to enough? So a good CDP, some of the more advanced ones will actually look at that, look at the overall amount of messaging that's going out, who that messaging is going to and say, you know, here's a group. You're not talking to. Maybe you should. So it pops up as an opportunity. Or again, here's a segment of customers that that you're possibly under promoting, or conversely, of course, over promoting as well. Similarly, we might Mm -hmm. see products that are performing well, but not really getting as much exposure as they can. So there's a lot of interesting work being done that borders between predictive and, and prescriptive intelligence, saying, you know, here's an opportunity that when we look at the data in the CDP, we can find that you might not find. By yourself. That's a particularly intriguing one right now.
0: Great. So, what kind of customer behavioral insights should uh, people look for in their CDP? And what are some of the leading platforms that you've come across?
1: Well, in B2B, what's happened quite intriguingly is a number of the vendors who started out uh, as predictive modeling systems have kind of morphed into being CDPs. And actually, when I first named the category in 2013, those people were. Among the examples of systems that for the first time were building their own database because predictive requires building a unified database. So it's not really a new thing for B2B to be in CDP, but most CDP has kind of evolved into B2C. So now B2B cropping up in the CDP world feels new, even though it's not. So that would be the companies like Lattice Engines and Radius and Lead Space And Sixth Sense was just in the news yesterday. And then there are, of course, more general CDPs that also can do B2B as, as well. Lytics, for example, does a fair amount of B2B. In terms of what people are getting out of them in terms of insights, a lot of these vendors collect insight data on their own is part of what they bring to the party is they go out and they scan the web for either all companies or for companies that their clients have told them to take a look at and look at what activities are happening. So where are these people doing on social? What third party websites are they showing up on? What are they downloading from trademark publications and things like that to get an idea of which firms are showing interest in a given category. And that's not information that most companies are able to capture for themselves. So the CDP brings that, adds it to the database, and then, again, services opportunities that say, hey, you know, this company's in your database, but you haven't talked to them for months because you don't have any kind of an active sales process going on with them. But, you know, all of a sudden they're showing up either on your website or on your competitor's website uh, or on public websites like, uh, you know, know, advertising that suggests maybe there's something going on there that you want to take a look at. That's a very uh, powerful kind of information, and the CDP makes it available and then distributes it quite easily out to the appropriate salespeople or marketing campaigns to to make it actionable because it's one thing to have it, and it's another thing to actually get it to the point where somebody's going to do something with it.
0: So are you noticing rise in user-specific intelligence here, and especially insights from data sets like install tech data or technographics?
1: Well, we certainly see use, again, of intent data, as I was just describing. We'll see things like uh, install data and and technographics used in market sizing and in account-based marketing to decide what accounts look like they're a good fit for my product and building up ideal customer profiles, for example. You want to look at that kind of information. So, again, the the value that we see is that data is not that it's always been available, but it's it's been available for a while. But unless you can connect it to all your other data and use it in your analysis and in your segmentation, and in your communications personalization, uh, very easily, the fact that it's available isn't all that useful because you can't really do much with it. So making it accessible is very, very important.
0: Absolutely. Extracting the most relevant insights and intelligence from it. So then what lags do most companies experience when they're using CDPs or adopting CDPs for the first time? And how would you tell them to avoid or prevent
1: these? Probably the biggest problem people run into is data quality. Often the data sits in whatever system the data was collected by, and it's perfectly adequate for the purpose intended by that system. But it may have quite a few gaps or problems that don't matter for that purpose. But if you pull it out into a marketing system, it will will matter quite a bit. So, for example, many, many CRM systems have a lot of duplicate records in them. And it doesn't impact the salespeople because they just call up the one that they know is current. They simply ignore all the old records. Well, the marketing automation system, if it imports that data from CRM, It doesn't know what the salesman knows about which of those is the most current record. It just knows, hey, I got five different records with David Robb's name on them. I'm just going to mail them all, and I won't know that four of those are obsolete. So you have a real issue that when you first look at that data, when you first pull it into the CDP or into any system that's going to try to use it for a new purpose, you uncover all these problems that were hidden because they didn't matter in the original system. So cleaning that up, even finding the issues and cleaning them up. Ensuring that data is consistent across systems, you would be amazed, for example, how many different identifiers there might be for the same product across different divisions of a company or different regions, for example. So cleaning that up and saying, oh, wait a minute, this SKU over here is really the same product over here, even though it has a different SKU in South America or wherever. Those kind of issues and then just deciding what to bring in. You know, In theory, a CDP could bring in everything, but in reality, of course, you have to decide how to prioritize your feeds. And that takes a lot of decisioning among the stakeholders. Well, what matters, what doesn't matter. So, those kinds of steps really are the things that slow you down. You know, once the data is in there, it's usually pretty easily accessible. Now, you run into some other roadblocks, perhaps, about people not really understanding how to analyze it properly or simply what to do with it. You know, what kind of campaigns does this make possible? Most marketers are pretty creative. And actually, if you give them a new set of data, they, they can come up with quite a few of ideas pretty much off the top of their head. Oh, wow. Now I have this. Well, I could use this, that and the other thing. But even once you get to that level, you still have to actually design campaigns and test them and roll them out properly. And that takes a while. So, you know, it's, again, not a magic bullet. You don't flip the switch and your life gets better. There's a lot of work involved to taking advantage of the capabilities that you're buying when you buy a new system.
0: Absolutely. So what kind of MarTech and uh, sales tech products and why would you say would gain more attention in 2019 besides, of course, CDPs, especially for B2B marketing and sales teams?
1: Well, of course, we do think CDPs are by far the most important, but if we must discuss other technologies, right, that's a given that we know that. I think one area that we're going to see a lot more focus on is content. We all know content's important, of course, but I think In a few ways, having more organized content repositories because content like customer data is actually spread all over the company in many different little silos and Companies are more aware of the need to avoid redundancy and ensure consistency and compliance by bringing their content together, making it more standardized, more reusable, more customizable. Closely related to that is giving salespeople easier access to content so they can find what they need. And and in many cases, now the system is actually recommending to them, oh, you know, here's a piece of content that might be relevant to you in this situation. Again, personalizing or customizing that content to fit the particular needs of a given account or prospect. I think there's a lot of technology that we're going to see that, that improves that. And then on the other side of that, analyzing how content is performing, how it's being used, uh, and even there are systems that look inside content and see you know, which, which slides within the slide deck, for example, are more mm-hmm. commonly used by salespeople. So that's – because that's so important. You know, other kinds of technology, I think video, augmented reality, things like that, people are way more visual, and we think of those as – more consumer. But in reality, what happens in consumer happens in B2B now more quickly than ever. So we're going to see a lot more demand and to make it easier to create video content uh, to then monitor its use and see what's effective, what does not doesn't work. Augmented reality a little further out, but there are plenty of B2B applications for augmented reality. And as that technology becomes more accessible, people will, again, very creatively find what they are.
0: Great. So, David, we appreciate the time you took to spend with us today, and I hope you have an amazing day ahead. Are there any key takeaways or few words of advice you'd like to share before we wrap up?
1: I think that data is important. Technology is important. I think if I had to offer words of advice, it would be that we need to step back and really focus not on what the technology lets us do, which is amazing and kind of infinite, but on using the technology in ways that actually appeal to our customers, because we can often personalize almost for the sake of personalization. And, and when we look at the research, if you ask people what they want, they don't really want personalized advertising. In fact, they hate it. They hate anything that's advertising, whether it's personalized or not personalized. What they want are things that give them value better service, for example, and things that give them control so that they can control how that service is delivered. Do I talk to a bot? Do I talk to a phone agent? Do I go to the store and buy something that get delivered to me because I ordered it online? That kind of control and that kind of value, do I get the best deal? it's available? Do I get the best product that fits my need? And does the company make that easy? That's what people really want companies to give them. And technology is great at that stuff. But only if we if we focus on using the technology in those ways, not just in, in you know, making product recommendations and, and certainly not in making a little personalized video that has a picture of me inserted, you know, waving through the window in the background. That's fun, but it doesn't really give any value to the customers and they get bored with that very quickly. So as marketers and as, as business people, we really need to focus on delivering true value to our customers, not, not just uh, using technology for cool things.
0: Great stuff there, David. Thank you so much, uh, and I hope you have an amazing day. We'll probably have you back soon again for a debate on uh, CDPs and opposing technologies, maybe.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Take care. Very good. Take care.